Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. As I was looking over this gospel passage of the wedding feast at Cana, looking ahead uh, to this weekend, I was reminded of something that had struck me uh, maybe three years ago, maybe six years ago when this gospel passage came up in the cycle of readings. Um, but as I was pouring over the different commentaries for this passage and, and, and different things that authors had, had written about it, um, I recalled something that kind of surprised me when I was prepping a homily several years ago, which is that uh, this passage has like almost like just dozens and dozens and dozens of layers that, that you could talk about. And this is to some degree just characteristic in general of John as one of the evangelists that is just layer after layer of meaning. But, but this scene in particular of the wedding feast at Cana, there is, there is so much here. You, you, could, you could talk about 50 or 60 or 70 different, different things that, that are all kind of packed into this, this scene. Literally every word and, and every description, every, everything in this passage has, has a meaning of some kind. That being said, I'm just going to talk about one of them <laughs> because we, we do not have time to, to go into uh, many of the others. So I just want to focus on the brief exchange between our Lord and his mother and, and draw something out of there. So, so Mary comes to the Lord um, and she asks, she tells him, you know, they're out of wine, which would have been a big problem. Uh, at wedding feasts at that time were not sort of like your four-hour wedding reception like we have now. Usually they lasted a week or so. Uh, and so if you run out of wine, for example, and it's only like day three of the wedding feast, that's a bit, that's a big issue. Like that's that's a, just sort of an embarrassment for the the family that's hosting the wedding, and and so Mary just kind of out of the compassion of her heart, it seems, for this 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 married newly married couple who presumably she would have known since she was invited to the wedding feast, um, just out of compassion, sort of for their embarrassment, goes to her son and and sort of looks to him to kind of solve this problem. She says, "Look, they're out of wine." Um, and Jesus has an interesting response to her, um, which is very difficult to understand. The, the translation um, that, we, that we have in our, our gospel today, um, our Lord says to his mother, he says, Woman, how does your concern affect me? Woman, how does your concern affect me? And by calling her by the title of woman, again, we could, we could spend a couple days also talking about the nuances of that, which harken back to Genesis and the fact that Eve was called woman as mother of all the living. Mary, Jesus is now addressing his mother as woman, saying that she's going to be mother of all of the, the spiritual living, like all these children that will be born from baptism and the new covenant that he establishes. There's a lot of overtones there with, with, with him addressing her as woman. But it is kind of a strange thing for, for him to say, like, what, what does your concern affect me? And the, the literal Greek there, John translates the, the idiom, you know, the aromatic idiom that Jesus would have used in this context. He translates it literally in his Greek. And it literally the translation would be, woman, what is that to me and to you? What is that to me and to you? And, and, 
And commentators have struggled to understand exactly what that idiom meant at that particular time in history in Palestine, because as we know, idioms come into use and then they pass away even 10 years later. There are certain phrases that those of you who, who grew up maybe in the 70s or 80s used that if you were to say it now to somebody, they'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about and vice versa like people who are in their you know teens or 20s today may use a phrase if you grew up in the 70s or 80s you have, I have no idea what you're talking about so that's kind of what we're dealing with here one of these idioms where it's it's difficult to understand when Jesus says to his mother what is that to me and to you what is that to me and to you he says and then he and then he adds a line and this is kind of the key my hour has not yet come my hour has not yet come in John's Gospel, Jesus' hour is a very significant theme that always refers to his passion, death, and resurrection, the key events of his life. So when he says, my hour has not yet come, he's telling her that it's not yet time for me to, to die, to rise from the dead, which is a strange thing for him to tell his mother because that's not what she's asking him to do, at least it seems. She's just asking him to like solve this wine problem, and he tells her, like, it's not time yet for me to die. How does, how does this make sense? Son, they're out of wine. Mother, it's not yet time for me to die. How, how, do, how do we understand this? The, the way to put these together is because this would have been the very first public miracle that Jesus would have worked. And he knew that as soon as he worked a public miracle of some kind, his divinity would be revealed, his divinity would be revealed, and when that was revealed, it's sort of the beginning of the end for him, right? That sort of spells his path moving towards his death. When he reveals his identity fully, you know, when goodness is sort of broadcast in full daylight, it draws the anger and the hatred of people in the world who are evil, right? right. When goodness is, is sort of just thrown out there in the, in the midst of the, of, of the noonday sun, it, it, it draws the attention of those who want to bring down good things. So our Lord knows, like, if I reveal my divinity by working this public miracle, then my, my passion is going to begin, right? It will draw the attention of those who eventually want to lead me to my death. And so he knows that it would, it would lead to his hour. And so an interesting question to ask here is, married, being aware of this, is she, is she basically encouraging her son to the cross? Is that what she's doing? By asking him to work this miracle, is she trying to speed up or hasten his mission to die for the salvation of the world. Uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, in, in commenting on this passage, thinks very much that this was, was her intention, which when you think about it, is, is, is kind of radical. Like how many mothers would, be, would encourage their sons to their death? Even if they knew it was God's will, it was like a martyrdom of some kind. Like, how many mothers would be willing to actually speed that up even? They'd probably say like, oh, I like, want to spend as much time as I can with my son before he has to be martyred. Very few of them would, would yeah, son, like, like you, need to, you need to go for it. Like, this is God's will. Like, run, run sprint to your martyrdom. Like, how many mothers would, would do that? Probably not many. 
Fulton Sheen puts it like this. He was telling his mother that she was virtually pronouncing a sentence of death over him. Few are the mothers who send their sons to battlefields, but here was one who was actually hastening the hour of her son's mortal conflict with the forces of evil. If he agreed to her request, he would be beginning his hour of death and glorification. To the cross he would go with a double commission, one from his father in heaven and the other from his mother on earth. And one of the things that John is doing here is he's connecting our Lord and Mary to Adam and Eve. Right? We all know that our Lord is the new Adam, Mary is the new Eve for a variety of reasons. Just as, and in this context, one of the parallels is that just as Eve convinced Adam to lead all of humanity into sin, right? She prompted Adam to lead all of humanity into sin. The opposite is occurring here. Mary, knowing that if Jesus works a public miracle, that it will lead to his, his eventual death, which will save mankind from its sins, she is now prompting the new Adam, the new Eve here is prompting the new Adam to, to pull humanity out of that pit that the first Adam brought them into. It's a, very, it's a very beautiful way that God is sort of like working these parallels in this salvation from the inside out. We have Mary here prompting our Lord to hasten, the, the new Adam, to hasten to the reversal of what the first Adam did. And just a very simple, there's a lot there to think about, but a very simple thing that I would just draw your attention to in our sort of normal Christian life is that we're all, we're all called to sort of play a similar role in each other's lives in encouraging one another to bear the crosses that God sends to us. Oftentimes, this is something where we have to be very self-aware. Oftentimes, you, when we go and we tell somebody else, spouse, a friend, you know, somebody we trust, about some problem we have, some cross we're bearing, some difficulty we have, Oftentimes, if you really examine your own mind and heart, oftentimes we will go like sort of laying this out before somebody else and kind of hoping to ourselves that they'll be able to like help us find like an escape clause. <laughs> I'm speaking here of like crosses that we know are definitely the Lord's will, right? So like we, we go and we present this to somebody and we, we're hoping not only that they show us compassion, but that they'll maybe even give us a reason to run away from that cross. That they'll, they'll sort of try and maneuver the logic in some way that we might find a way that we can kind of like slide away from this difficult thing in our life, this, this cross. Oftentimes that's what we're searching for when we present our problem or a pain or, or a cross to, to somebody. And if we're on the receiving end of that, if you have somebody come to you and say, I have this cross, this difficulty, this problem, this, this pain, and it's obvious that it's God's will that they bear this, that they bear it well. Oftentimes we're gonna be tempted because it feels more compassionate to try and give them some sort of way to maneuver out of it, <laughs> right? Let me like, let me sort of brainstorm with you how you might maneuver your way out of this difficulty and cross even though we're both pretty sure that it's the Lord's will that you carry it. Let me help you, because that feels more compassionate. 
So we have to be very aware when somebody else brings us something that the Lord has laid upon them, that instead, while still showing them great compassion, that we, we encourage them to bear it. Mary prompting Jesus to go towards what was his mission in life, to bear his cross and to die for us. We have to encourage somebody who comes to us with a difficulty or a cross. We have to help them adopt a new perspective. Maybe the Lord is allowing this for reasons that you will only discover in the future, and he's giving you an opportunity to trust him. Maybe the Lord is allowing this because he's given you a chance to atone for your past sins, right? Maybe the Lord is allowing this because he wants you to grow in the virtue of patience or the virtue of fortitude or the virtue of fill in the blank, right? What we want to do is we want to be like Mary in that moment. We want to help this person to carry the cross, not to help them maneuver out of it, right? And that's a, that's a very like subtle temptation that we can fall prey to. Ultimately, we want to, to sort of live out the words that Mary gives to the servants when she says, do whatever he tells you, right? So if in talking to somebody, it's obvious that it's the Lord's will that they, that they bear this cross and they carry it, right? In other words, that he's told them to do this. We want to be like Mary and say, like, look, you can do it. Like, do whatever the Lord tells you. If he's told you, to carry this cross and that, and, that, and that this is his will for you at this time in your life, just, just trust him, do whatever he tells you. Um, and for ourselves too, again, when, when we go with our burden to somebody else, we should, we should examine our intention. Am I, am, I, am I holding this out to somebody else because I want them to help me find a way out of it? <laughs> or am I, am I going to them legitimately just for encouragement and inspiration to continue to bear the cross that the Lord has given to me?